Welcome to the Smart HVAC Marketing Podcast, an award-winning show dedicated to helping contractors generate more revenue, employ more people, and serve more customers. Powered by Rival Digital. Tune in each week to learn how other business owners and industry professionals across the country are staying ahead of the curve in an ever-changing business landscape. So, are you ready to dominate your marketing, get a grip on your operations, and build the business you've always dreamed of? Join your host, Eric Thomas, and get a fresh perspective on what it takes to create a world-class contracting business. The best idea wins. Now, here's Eric Thomas. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Smart HVAC Marketing Podcast, where we believe the best idea wins, and we are here to help you generate, hopefully, some good ideas. There's, uh, I usually say lots of good ideas, but I'm thinking, I'm thinking we'll probably get a few good ideas out in this one. And then, yeah, to generate good ideas, we got to bring on smart people like uh, my friend Bree and Andrew from Ad Leverage, and. Uh, they're very smart. I look up to them a lot. I admire their work. And uh, yeah, super excited to chat with them today. Bree just cannot contain the laughter over there. Is, is something? <laughs> so, is no, it... I'm just so flattered. I love it. <laughs> all right. Well, this is off to a great start. I'm super excited to chat with you all today. Um, let's go ahead. A little roll call, little introductions here. Uh, no particular order. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Bree, why don't you go first? Tell the world about yourself. And we'll take it from there. Awesome. Uh, my name's Bree, aka Brianna Skiffington on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> Chief Product Officer at Ad Leverage and DataCube. Uh, DataCube was incubated at Ad Leverage, so that was pretty cool how we spun that off. And uh, yeah, been doing a lot of performance marketing my career, so love talking about that stuff and excited to be on with you today. Yeah. All right, Andrew, you're up. All right. So, um, CEO and founder of Ad Leverage, uh, also the CEO of DataCube. And uh, I love having the highest level conversations surrounding marketing, advertising, how it's all changing, and then also love getting into the nitty gritty and, and the detail of the data, right? So I love uh, all things from the creative side to the performance marketing digital side and, and love talking about how it all comes together. Yeah, well, that's exciting. And that's exactly what we're going to hit on today. Um, you know, Bree and I met in Florida, uh, Florida. Yep. or the uh, Service Titan Marketing for the Trade Summit. And we, we chatted about that there as well. And I know that you guys are doing a lot of cool stuff with uh, Data Cube. So looking forward to talking about data. So let, let's just go ahead and, and dig in for a second. My, my first question is just, what is Data Cube? Oh, go Andrew. Um, you know, it, it really came about because we were trying to find a way to give contractors the data they needed to know which team members are performing um, and really against their peer set, right? Like everybody wants to know not only who's doing a great job consistently, but also how that person can potentially influence the behavior of others, right? So we set out to build something that would give them all of the information they wanted or needed that may be in a CRM or a spreadsheet that's updated manually, you know, once a day, twice a week, once a week, you name it. 
um, we set out to create a platform that could give them everything that mattered from all of those different data sources and bring it all into one place uh, and do that in real time. But then we also wanted to make it very pretty. So, um, you know, we didn't just want it to be an Excel spreadsheet on a massive screen. We wanted it to, uh, to be a real, you know, uh, proud moment representation of brand, right? Like yeah. more and more people are spending so much money on their brand to make it look and, and uh, feel, uh, you know, confidence inspiring and, and so, like something you can be proud of. So we wanted DataCube to be no exception. So we say it's at the intersection of beauty and brains. <laughs> I love that. That's really cool. So you mentioned something there that uh, struck a nerve a little bit. And it was something I know that we're planning on chatting about, which was uh, just like metrics, being able to track metrics and understand which ones matter. Because I feel like, you know, internally in marketing, we love to look at a lot of different numbers, impression share, bounce rate. What metrics actually matter? the contractor, like when they're looking at a marketing report or they're looking at their data cube or they're looking at any of this stuff, like what, what actually matters to them? Yeah, I would say the biggest one for us is really return on ad spend. So you'll hear us reference it a lot, ROAS, right? It is revenue divided by spend, typically results in a solid number, like a four ROAS or a 10 ROAS, right? That's how many dollars you get back for how many dollars you put in. So obviously it's a very Uh, important metric for us because we want to be that full funnel partner and actually see like, hey, you know, are we generating more than leads, more than clicks, more than impressions, right? Are we generating revenue? And if we can do that, it's obviously beneficial to the client and they're able to grow and then beneficial to us as well, because we're able to, you know, quantify our results and show that we're a valid partner and, you know, uh, putting together a great campaign and we're able to help them scale it too. So that's my favorite one. Yeah, I think I think to to piggyback on that, I feel like, you know, even that gets so muddy, right? I feel like you look at how one entity will report against another and, you know, a lot of um, you know, agencies we see will push blended return on ad spend, blended lead cost and and for us that's just not good enough. Um, you know, I think that campaigning is such an important factor here. Because, you know, the the more time and attention and and love you spend on properly campaigning, uh, you know, digital ad campaigns, obviously, uh, the, the more insightful the data is going to be. Right. And so it really like irks us when um, we start hearing just insane metrics that some folks pedal and insane return on ad spends that some folks pedal because they're just throwing it all into one giant bucket and saying, oh, we're getting you a 35 return on ad spend. And then a contractor hears that and it's like, well, holy shit, let's scale that up. And it's like, oh, well, we can't really, we can't really do that. And, and all they do is spend more money and, and get a lower return, right? So when you spend the time and energy to properly campaign at the onset, that's what we mean by ultimately setting folks up for success and having clarity in data, right? Because it can be so unbelie- unbelievably daunting and misleading uh, just by you know throwing things into a bucket where they just don't belong. Yeah. Oh, that's that's good stuff. So what, yeah. what what what's the ideal return on ad spend? Like what what if you guys were looking at and I'm just <laughs> I'm just teeing them up real quick, you know, uh you you look at a you know a ROAS report, or you're looking at a report and you're you're measuring ROAS, like where's the threshold between good and bad? 
I would say there's a place for a lot of different ROASs, right? Like consider that like LSA, for example, is always going to kick ass, right? It's always going to be 10 plus return on ad spend, sometimes beyond 20, 30, right? It's awesome. Mm -hmm. We can't get enough of it. But that's the problem is you literally cannot get enough of it, right? So you have to bring in other things that may have a lower ROAS, but higher scale, such as Google ads, right? And, and do additional things that are going to drive you the volume and diversity that you need to be able to test between channels. So that's really important. And as Andrew mentions, the branding conversation as well, right? Or like the, the campaigning, that's equally as important as well to understand your scalability, right? Is Google ads in and of itself may be producing a... 10 return on ad spend, right? But if you break it down to what is brand versus non-brand, the non-brand might be a two and the brand might be a 20, right? That's a huge discrepancy. And you have to be able to isolate those things to understand what you can and can't spend more on efficiently and what is good and bad, right? Because a two, probably not that good. That's a 50% marketing cost. I don't know any business owner who can afford that, right? But if you look at it from the context of, well, you know, if like we, we can test... Yelp, for example, we can test Home Advisor, right? And one of those can generate a five. Great. What is the maximum you can spend on that, right? And isolated that way, you're able to really leverage it for overall growth. But I think, I think Eric, in in, in my mind, I, I feel like that's the the scale conversation is what it ultimately becomes, right? If you are completely content running on your customer base and LSA because you're growing at 10 or 15% per year, 20% per year, and you're good with that just on those things, that's amazing, right? Like more power to you. I'm not here to, to create your vision for your company or your brand. But when it's like, no, I want much more rapid growth. We want to grow at 50% per year, 60% per year, 100% per year. The ability to scale is when campaigning and diversity as well becomes so unbelievably important because to Bree's point, if it's all in one big bucket, you know, your brand searches are not going to scale overnight like your non-branded PPC effort for, you know, HVAC help near me or AC repair near me as the examples. Those are non-branded and substantially more scalable in most instances than just about anything else, right? So it's all about trying to come up with that combination of expectation of scale or expectation of lead flow, and then layering in the most efficient scalable options to try to meet those goals. Yeah, that's good stuff. So I, I've heard uh, from other people, of course, you know, everyone's got their own strategies, their own tactics. Um, yep. I'm, you know, I'm kind of just like vibing along this journey of marketing and life and uh, just kind of hoping in the process that red Robin, you know, gives me some free swag or maybe, maybe a cheeseburger or two. Um, I've heard some people mention, and I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I've heard some people mention that they'll intentionally drive down their row as like in some instances where it's like, maybe it's like a 13 to one um, and you're not really picking up market share at all, but they like drive it down a little bit to try to gain market share. Have you ever heard of that? I've never heard the market share conversation directly, not, not related in that term, Eric, but I feel like it is, um, you reach a threshold, right? Like, you know, every company looks at it a little bit differently, but I feel like there are so many both brand driving opportunities that are endless, right? Like you look at the traditional media side, TV, radio, outdoor, direct mail, like all of these things can help you grow brand, grow market share, right? 
And yeah. then you look at the much more measurable piece of it with your digital ad campaigns, your search platforms, et cetera. And I think that it is that balance, right? It's like, hey, I can live with an overall eight to one on my total marketing spend all in. So if you know you're at a 13 to one as your example, you know that you have some room there to try and grow market share with those brand building activities, right? You yeah. can spend more on TV or OTT or connected TV or YouTube or whatever it is that you decide to do because you can live with that eight to one as long as you're growing at the, the overall scale that you want to, right? So that's a conversation that we do have a lot is, you know, overall, where do you need to be? And then, you know, what can we do to most effectively and efficiently get you to that place while growing either the customer base or, you know, your, your uh, whether it's directly your database or revenue, whatever the growth metric might be. So that's definitely a conversation that we have. Nice. All right. I'm going to keep, I'm just going to keep picking y'all's brain here because this is, this is good stuff. And uh, we're, I feel like we're building up to something big here. Here's a question. I'm going to go ahead and just ask it. Is PPC still effective? This is a question. Oh, I, oh yeah. You know, I usually, <laughs> I usually kind of banter around the question and then, you know, delicately ask it. Uh, sure. I've been, you know, I just feel like now more than ever, I've been hearing folks on Facebook and across the world wide web saying, you know, face, you know, PPC is just not working like it used to. Is it still effective? I would say absolutely. Uh, however, is it as efficient as it used to be five years ago? Uh, definitely not. Right. Um, it's much more uh, competitive landscape. And you also have, you're now competing with LSA, which is flat rate leads, right? That is taking up uh, real estate on the search engine results page, right? So it's definitely uh, more cutthroat. Uh, it's not for the faint of heart. It is not always going to be your highest return on ad spend, but it is typically the highest scale or one of yeah. the highest scale. So it does have a place, but it's definitely not the first thing I would recommend to a smaller contractor just getting started, right? It's, it's going to yeah. be a little bit more competitive, a little bit more volatile. You may not be able to stomach the, the high cost per acquisition and, you know, potentially mediocre tickets if you don't have a robust uh, commercial sales team, right? Or like corporate sales team. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it, can be, it can be tough, but um, for the bigger guys, it's definitely a necessity. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, to your point, Bree, I feel like that's what the conversation becomes, right? Like, is it an essential, you know, aspect of a marketing campaign for a business that wants to do $3 million a year or $2 million a year? And, and that's where they're happy. I would say no. I'd say there are a lot more consistent and efficient places to be and places to go if, if that's your revenue goal. But as you start cresting the 50 and $100 million marks, which is, you know, several of our clients are, you know, 100 million plus contractors, that it's a mainstay. Um, and I would say, you know, by and large, because you have to have an unbelievably diverse mix to drive that that level of revenue. And then there's also a substantial amount more consistency in data, right? Like when you look at it over time, smaller contractors cannot afford the, some of the ups and downs um, that are going to fluctuate with smaller budgets just due to general conversion rates, right? Like yeah. they can't afford a bad week because they don't have a lot of other 
drivers to help them shore that up. But when you have substantially more conversion data, just because of the size of the campaign or size of the spend on a, on a daily and weekly basis, and especially over a monthly basis, the law of averages is much more in their favor, right? Because they do have that much more consistency, that many more opportunities, that much more conversion data to where those lulls are not that substantial. Yeah. So when we were in Tampa at the, the marketing summit thing, I was up there speaking about local SEO. Um, so like, so that service Titan done a good job getting, you know, an expert for each area. So I was talking about SEO, local SEO. And one of the contractors raised their hand and was like, Hey, how do I get my, uh, how do I run that ad in the map pack? And I was just like, <laughs> heart dropped. I was like, Oh crap. He's asking me a PPC question. Like I, I know just enough about PPC to be dangerous. Um, but I'm just by no means you know, the PPC expert around here. But, um, I was like, I, you know, I, it was like Jimmy Neutron. I was like thinking and like, you could see my brain moving and thinking. And I was like, I was like, I think there's a location extension or something. And I just see Bree in the background, like, thumbs up. I was like, Oh God, I got, I got support here. I was like, yeah. So then I got confident. I was like, yeah, there's a location extension. You got to like set that up and hook it in with your GMB and do all this stuff. Um, but I've been noticing more and more and more, like almost every time without a doubt, you'd search AC repair city near me, whatever, there's going to be an ad in the map pack. Whereas that used to not be a thing. My prediction, and I'm going to save this for one day. My prediction is that Google business profile is not going to be free for much longer. Oh, let me ask you a question before we get into that. Do you feel that local SEO still works? <laughs> Ooh. Oh, shit. It's a good one. The turntables. I, I, I just had to flip that back on you real quick. Yeah. You see, bud. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, we, 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 we love, no, we, we love uh, talking about SEO. We, we love, uh, you know, grinding through uh, SEO best practices. Eric, and I know you guys do a great job there at Rival. So I was just joking with you. Go ahead, buddy. Yeah, no, no, I, I, that's, that's good stuff. I, I honestly don't think that's going to be free for much longer because, you know, Google, they want money, data, and product usage. And, um, you know, when, when was it, 46%, something like that, 46% of clicks are going to the maps and they're not, capitalizing on some of that um that's where there's an opportunity for them and you're starting to see these ads pop up more often than when you click more businesses you're going to see an lsa ad there you're going to see a, a google ad in the maps there so it's like to me that's a sign that like they're slowly they're really good at just slowly introducing change and then one day you wake up and it's like whoop everything's different um and it's it's certainly you know with LSA because like I remember when Google Guaranteed came out I was working mm. for Mosquito Joe, and uh, we got all their franchisees set up on it and it was like it was like taking candy from a baby I mean the leads <laughs> were just unreal, but now LSA it's like it's the same as what we're kind of hearing some with with um, some folks griping about PPC is that LSA is the same deal now it's just like maybe I get it one call a week. Yep. No, definitely more and more crowded space, right? And I was just reading uh, the other day about the rise in non-click searches, right? Which I don't know yeah. if you've you know heard or, or read anything about that lately, Eric. But two thirds of, of current searches don't result in a click. So yeah. when you start thinking about how or why that could be, and then you 
kind of think about the Google guaranteed placements and the amount of competition that's above the fold before you click anything to think that they're not going to take over and monetize as much of that real estate as possible is naive. Right. So yeah. you think about it, it's like, you got that big fat number to Google guaranteed check Mark right next to it. When you think of two thirds of the searches no longer resulting in a click, it's like, well, yeah, no shit. There you go. <laughs> that's, that's the reason those are the, the first three options you've got. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you all feel like the future of all this looks like? Because now remember before the show, I started saying, I'll go down a, a rabbit hole. Here's the yep. rabbit hole. Lego. What do you all feel like this, the future of all this lies? Because surely Google can't just have a search engine results page full of ads. Like there's got to be some type of, you know, right. organic side to it. There's not going to be a search engine results page. It's just going to be barred. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> and that's going to be full of ads. <laughs> yeah. You're just going to you know? search something and then like AI is just going to take it from there. I think, exactly. I think let's briefly clarify what barred is is for those that may not have heard the term before uh ai large language model it's a bot that uh is going to essentially be coming into the search engine results page in this similar fashion to how microsoft has deployed uh chat gpt um they're also already monetizing answers in chat gpt as well so you'll see certain keywords come back returning an ad uh in chat gpt on the bing side um, so yeah, you can definitely expect something similar with Google, right? Um, and to your point, when you started mentioning the non-click part, Andrew, I'm picturing the list snippet answers that are organic in nature that come up on Google. They'll probably start monetizing that as well and turning those into ads, right? Um, so Eric, to your point, I mean, it's <laughs> at some point, it'll all just be pay for uh, pay to play, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Before, uh, when, when the announcement was first made, that Microsoft was going to be buying ChatGPT. Uh, we were talking about, we, we had the conversation literally that day, like how long do you think it's going to be until the uh, ecosystem, the advertising ecosystem is infiltrated with ChatGPT? And I said, I can be, I can guarantee it will be like no time flat because yeah. it is a several billion dollar purchase and they will need to monetize that as quickly and effectively as possible. And the easiest way to do that, most straightforward way to do that is obviously through advertising, right? So I think to, you know, to, to see that happen so quickly, it's like chat GPT was like a rumor a few months back. And now it's like something everybody's talking about. It's yeah. purchased by Microsoft. They're now growing market share for the first time in a very long time. Uh, they're growing market share in their ad ecosystem against Google because of the GPT integration and interface. It's the only, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a forced route, right? So I think it, it definitely is only a matter of time until the Google equivalent, which is BARD, is functioning in much the same way. So how do I had the original, the original question was how do contractors stand out in a saturated market, but now due to the rabbit hole, um, <laughs> how do, how do contractors or just honestly website owners or anyone online, how do you stand out in such a noisy crowded world? You know, when, with everyone now with AI, I could go on AI right now and say, write me six 2000 word blog articles about the importance of AC maintenance and then reword it and include these search terms and make sure that it sounds <laughs> like it's written in the tone of kid rock and it's going to do it. And I could just publish them to my website. It'll take me 10 minutes. How can a business owner still stand out in, in such a different world? 
Ooh. Anticipating for that one that uh, there's going to be some watermarking taking place and uh, maybe it won't be as as easy to crowd the market with just, you know, AI gibberish at any given time, right? A giant word salad to throw on your website. So hopefully yeah. uh, we can still see some integrity maintained on sites and uh, honor some of the SEO practices that have been, you know, taking place for years, right? But I think that ultimately it's going to be diversity. Um, you have to have not all your eggs in one basket. SEO is very important. Websites are very important. But as the internet evolves and people's search patterns that, uh, change and, you know, migrate into potentially other things that mm. are not clicking anything at all or um, being answered by a bot and there's, you know, nothing that needs to occur subsequently, um, you have to have diversity in place because the internet is slow to evolve too, right? Users are slow to evolve in the sense that there's still going to be people who are going to Google, no matter how much the interface changes. There's still going to be people going directly to Yelp or directly to HomeAdvisor. So it's important to have a, a diverse presence um, in order to stand out and just maintain uh, you know, the ability to, to capture leads, no matter how things evolve and, and stay up to date on that, right? Uh, as opportunities come to play for, you know, advertising uh, inside GPT or inside BARD, uh, as those things develop, um, you have to be on top of it. Same way everybody was with LSA, right? Like as soon as things like that start coming out, dive right in. Don't wait, don't be the last guy or you're going to be the one at the bottom of the ranking list with no leads, right? So yeah, evolve. Yeah, I think I think diversity is is unbelievably important. We're big, uh, you know, proponents and, and diversity preachers around here. But I think that uh, just as important as diversity, Eric, is consistency. Right. I think consistency across platform becomes just as important as diversity within the platform, because diversity in certain instances can work against you. Right. Because if you just have some half baked, half assed profiles or existence in certain areas that's not thoughtful and that's not consistent from a brand perspective, you can lose confidence. Right. You can lose consumer confidence because um, it, they're not seeing consistency across platforms. And so where I think this ultimately goes is anywhere you are going to be as a brand be intentional with that placement and be consistent with that placement, right? So what does that actually mean? I think that when uh, you're, you're having a conversation about marketing as a whole, I think that you need to do things for the platform at this point, right? Like you can't just take your TV commercial and throw it on YouTube and, and throw it on Facebook and throw it on Yelp and, and throw it on your GBP profile and expect that it's going to perform when it was made for TV, expect it's going to perform or be, um, you know, a solid representation of brand or a solid performing asset on all other platforms. So I think that now you have to be uh, spend a little more time kind of thinking through the platform it's being created for and create for that platform, opposed to taking one asset and plastering it everywhere. Yeah, that's good stuff. So. Now back to what was supposed to be the original question about get away from AI because AI is just, it's a lot. I'm excited for it, but also scared. <laughs> um, so you guys say you deal with contractors, a lot of contractors, you know, big operations, 50, 75, 100, 150, 2 billion, 5 billion. I'm just kidding. One day. How... How, how can how can contractors stand out just in general in a saturated market? Like if someone's in Phoenix, Arizona listening to this or Los Angeles or New York City or I don't know, Charlotte, 
Dallas. How can they stand out in a sea of sameness and just when they've got contractors at every which corner? Oh, we've got yeah. a cat. we got a cat. Yeah, we just got cat mom, and it was a black cat too, so I'm kind of scared to answer this question even. But Good luck. Uh, I'm going to give it a go regardless. Um, I think nothing replaces an experience right? There is, there is nothing that replaces an experience and there is nothing that replaces the social proof of that experience. Right. And so I think that, you know, even like leveraging the power of the iPhone is something that, you know, we talk about a lot because it's something that a lot of contractors don't do. Right. It's like, you know, a tech will come back from being in the field and they're telling a story about a job and, and how happy the person was and how they just saved that person from a 105 degree day or 115 degree day, depending on where they are or the opposite, you know, an extremely cold temperature. Right. Regardless, I think that having a 20 second clip of Jane from Phoenix, Arizona, talking about the dire straits she was in. And how Bill from Five Star Technicians came in, truly saved her day, saved her life, et cetera, et cetera. Like that goes so far, right? Yeah. But it's so often ignored. So just thinking about like that time in the field when you have legitimately created a beautiful experience and you failed to get that experience onto an iPhone, uh, even in a very non-produced organic way, I think that's a massive miss, right? And so I think it's one thinking through, like, how do we know we're going to create a positive experience? What little things can you do to ensure that you're creating a positive experience every time in the home, right? Like stupid things like coloring books for the kids, branded dog biscuits, if they have pets, asking these qualifying questions before that technician ever gets to the home. But then also before they step foot in the home, if they can get a clip of that owner or the technician that's coming to see him or a happy string of testimonials before that technician even hits the doormat, that person has a pretty damn positive impression of the business. And it's not hard. It's just making it, you know, uh, it's being intentional with documenting that experience. And I think that's a big missing piece um, that I see is is failing to just whip out that iPhone and, and get 30 seconds of how you change someone's day for the better. You know what goes with that? As you're doing that, getting that great review, right? It seems crazy, but like that is the number one differentiator between companies that rank on LSA, on GMB, and companies that don't is often review quantity. So it, that's really important and one major way to compete with the big guys. And I can't emphasize that enough, but like if you really break it down and think about it, even if you just think about one tech having three jobs a day for one month, if they get a review on every single one of them, a great review, that's 60 reviews in a month, right? You can very easily compound that over five texts and generate a thousand reviews in a quarter and be able to stand out in your market and be competing with those big guys. Because often you're, you're, you just need to get in that three pack and often the hurdle isn't, you know, hundreds of thousands of reviews as it is customers, right? It's just yeah. a thousand or two, right? And it's so easy to just break into that and be able to generate that many more leads. But so many people are discouraged because it's like, oh, but I'm so far away. Oh, that would take so long. Oh, it's so many, but it's really not. If you break it down to the quantity of homes that you're in a day and the quantity of employees that you have, it's, it's achievable. Yeah. 
And I think, I think to that point, Bree, that's why we built into DataCube. We pull from all review mm -hmm. sites and all review sources by technician. And so we're pulling in and aggregating all of their reviews, but we're also providing the percentage of jobs that they've ran that have a review. And so we see massive disparities, right, Eric? Like we'll see huge disparities. Like we'll see a lead tech that has 75% of their jobs have a review tied to it. And the bottom tech has a 24% review completion rate for their jobs. And so it's an awesome learning opportunity to be like, dude, uh, you know, Eric, what are you doing uh, to get 75% of your people to leave a review for the job, right? So that's a, another, you know, kind of bringing it back to the first part of the combo. A big way that a lot of our clients use DataCube is just that peer-to-peer -peer opportunity to learn. Yeah, that would make a really good case study or like a white paper or something even about how the contractors that have that 75% review response rate rank, how it's affected their three-pack rankings over you know, company B who has 15 reviews and never asks for a review, even though they run six calls a day. 100%. Yeah. We also integrate contests into it too, right? So you can track a review percentage contest within DataCube also. So that's yeah. super important, right? Offering incentives, you know, 25 bucks to the technician that gets the iPhone testimonial, man, that's worth its weight in gold, right? For 25 bucks, you get somebody that looks like their neighbors touting your company and you can use that as social proof of the jobs you're doing. It's huge. Yeah. Well, that makes, yeah. It, the iPhone, there's so much power on the iPhone. Like people mm. don't even realize it. Like these things are so much smarter and especially if you shoot it, uh, what's it, landscape mode? Because then I mean, you like- you can put that Just on your website. Think, like you can hop on that iPhone and have piping hot Red Robin in 22 <laughs> minutes delivered to your door. Delivered. And then and then I could take a picture of it and my phone's going to remember that it's going to not only not only remember but it's going to categorize it for me. <laughs> you, you know what I learned the other day on your iPhone? So there's like library for you albums and there's a search bar have you all ever tried the search bar feature it's freaking all crazy the i literally <laughs> all the time <laughs> so we were yeah we were comparing pictures of like our dogs and so they were like yeah just go in the search bar and type in dog and it's going to pull up every photo you have that has a dog in it so i could go in there and just be like red robin and y'all there's literally <laughs> there's there's four photos on here of red robin that's it Two, I think that would fall into like multiple categories for you there, Eric, because I think like searching Red Robin would be one and then the other one would be like life passions and Red Robin would show up. Like, <laughs> yeah, my pet. Uh... And it'd be like your wife and Red Robin would be like right there, neck and neck. He knows the places you've been. Like people don't realize like when you take that photo, if your location settings are on, like that's all getting tagged to that photo. Mm. I love it. You can like use the yeah. globe feature, right? And like, or the map feature and zoom in yeah. to like where you've been and look at the pictures for there. It's awesome. Yeah. It's crazy. So yeah, that's, that's good stuff. How do you, um, how do you incentivize technicians to get reviews? Like other than a contest, like, can you, is there any way you could possibly incentivize them? They don't want to do that. They just want to clock in clock out. Look, I, I get it, but I feel like it's a cultural shift. Right. And I feel like sometimes that's necessary because 
nothing motivates like acknowledgement. And I feel like when you have the method by which you are going to acknowledge the team members that are crushing it, and it's going to be fair and unbiased and, you know, just the truth. Right. And if that's a sales meeting where you're calling them out and calling them up, maybe even throwing financial incentives out there, but even positive acknowledgement motivates more than, uh, you know, the financial pieces, um, you know, statistically proven. Right. So I think that in some cultures, uh, you know, company cultures, that is, I feel like that's a big piece of it. Just that positive acknowledgement. And then, you know, where is the central data or reporting source? So when you have that up on a screen and you see that dude killing it and he has to pass it every day for his morning meeting, that's a pretty good reason to not want to be last place. Right. <laughs> yeah. Public shaming. That's good stuff. Powerful tool. Public shaming. <laughs> All right, we're getting we're getting close to being up on time here. Um, is there anything I've missed so far that you guys were hoping to to hit on? I feel like we talked about results, talked about Red Robin. Those are the two things, right? <laughs> With marketing yeah. and Red Robin. Those are the two things that I wanted to make sure we chatted about, Eric. Yeah, Red Robin. If you're listening to this, your social media team is just so bad. Like the content's <laughs> fine. It's just the management side of it. Like community management's huge. Yo, what about Wendy's? They're really the benchmark, huh? I guarantee you. You know what? (laughs) Let's just try this out right now. I'm going to go on Facebook. I guarantee you if I go on here and say, uh, let's just, we'll just post this right now. Uh, Yo, Wendy's. Wendy's Twitter is my favorite Twitter of all time. Keep doing big things. And then we'll throw in like a fire emoji. That always works. The fire emoji will get them. Oh, we'll do the salute, the saluting one. All right, we'll see what happens. I guarantee you, Wendy's will respond. Mm-hmm. And Robin won't. <laughs> Eric, I would say the the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway, um, or the biggest miss that I see, I think is important to touch on one more time, and it's just really understanding the layers within the platform when it comes to your primary search. Uh, you know, platforms and opportunities. Um, I think that's so crucial is to ask for that campaign level breakdown or at least brand and non-brand, right? Because I think blended averages and blended lead costs and blended appointment costs, it's just such a bad practice. Um, And and I think that it's not bad to have a comprehensive look. Of course you want a global view. Of course you do. But when you're looking at this reporting, I know a lot of our clients just glaze over because it's so much. There's no shortage of data, right? You know the old saying, it's statistics don't lie, but liars use statistics. And I think that's <laughs> it's, just, it's just so true, man. I feel yeah. like if you can just understand, right, like the differences of the campaigns within these platforms and, and, and what an actual conversion is that they're mm-hmm. touting. Um, you know, in these, in, in a lot of the reporting that we see, even a conversion, a goal completion, you know, firsthand, right? Like you yeah. can decide arbitrarily what that is and you may not even be aligned with what a client would consider a successful conversion or goal completion. Right. So just yeah. having that conversation, um, you know, with your agency, um, and then on a, on a last and final, I would say just like a marriage, which is what we consider our relationships with our clients. There is no problem that you are going to fix that you have with your agency by not having the conversation within the agency. So if you have a problem, talk about it, figure it out. Um, 
And I'd say that uh, you can't fix it without addressing it. Yeah. A little group therapy. Yeah. That's good stuff. Bree, any, any parting thoughts, last tip before we dip type stuff? No, I mean, I, I, I really like what Andrew just brought up about the conversion part. I think that that's an important note. Uh, you'll see uh, sometimes we'll jump into ad accounts and see that not all uh, conversions are count, set to count only one. So they'll be counting duplicate conversions. Sometimes you'll also see no threshold on the phone call conversions, which means that a hang up essentially is counting as a conversion and all that factors into your cost per lead, right? So you just want to make sure that you're really identifying and isolating you know, not just the brand versus non-brand, but also what are we calling a conversion? That is a really important point. So, uh, Andrew, I'm glad you brought that up. It's good stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for being on the show. This was a lot of fun. I'm glad we got to, to talk about all the fun stuff and the Red Robins and all the cool things. Before we go, how can our listeners learn more about DataCube, Ad Leverage, all the things? datacube.ai. I was going to give you a brief cell phone. No, is that? Slide in those DMs. Slide in the DMs. No, datacube.ai is the site there and adleverage.com, ad with one D, uh, adleverage.com is uh, is that site. You see what we did with the ad and then the, and then the one D. Uh, okay. Yeah. Just kidding. I like it. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for being a guest on the, the smartest HVAC marketing podcast to ever exist. Ever. Hey, man, I just want to give you a shout out, Eric. Thank you for being so positive, being such a, a solid individual and influence in the space. Really do appreciate uh, your perspective uh, and your uh, level of transparency and the value you bring, bud. So Thanks. keep doing it. Really, I, I see it and really do appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah. Appreciate that guys. All right. I'll chat with y'all soon. Thanks again for listening to another episode, everyone. And we will see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the smart HVAC marketing podcast powered by rival digital, helping business owners and industry professionals across the country stay ahead of the curve in an ever changing business landscape. We hope you learned something from this week's episode and don't forget to rate and review this podcast. Thanks again for listening to the Smart HVAC Marketing Podcast.